know your light still shines. And that's my prayer for every person who's walked into this place today feeling like doom and gloom and everything's come against you and you're just drained and you're at your wit's end. Jesus is here today and he wants to say to you, my light still shines. Hold on no matter what season you're going through and I'm going to bring healing, I'm going to bring provision, whatever it is you need, but you've got to hold on and you've got to trust him through the valleys and through the challenging times. You know, at the end of today's service, I really believe there's going to be people in this place and at home online who will be compelled, and you hear this term a lot, to bend the knee. I know there's bending the knee for other things. Well, we're bending the knee to Jesus today. And I'll tell you why. Because he is the king of kings. And you're facing a season of challenge. Perhaps you're guilty of saying this, and this is what God really put on my heart. If only. How many of us have said that before? If only this would happen, then I'd be like this. If only this would happen, then this wouldn't be happening. If only. Well, in the midst of your circumstance, you're simply required to have a posture of but God, not if only. So I really want to challenge people today. Everything may have gone terrible. You might be having the worst experience of your life, but I want to challenge you to say but God and allow him to come and breathe on your situation, breathe on your life and bring healing and strength in the midst of your valley today so get ready because if that's touching some you know how God pokes you like that this is for you today okay so we're going through the gospel of John and uh, we're up to John chapter 11 and John chapter 11 is all about resurrection and the life Jesus the resurrection and the life so let's get started and let's talk about um, let's talk about death something really positive to start the message so death it's encouraging, isn't it? Who feels blessed? It's the one sure thing we can count on in life, as well as maybe taxes. There's death, there's taxes, they're going to come. We, we hate it, we hate talking about death, but we can't avoid it because it's a very true reality. We call it something else, like we use the words um, passing away, because death's just a bit, you know, death in your face, it's a bit hardcore. So it doesn't sound so bad when we say passing away, it's like, ah into the next life. But death still brings pain, grief, heartache, and years of loss for the people left behind. And there's people in this room that have been terribly impacted by the passing of people. There you go, see, I always use it, the death of people, because that's what's happened. Uh, and it's impacted them for the rest of their life. And, and so it's no small thing. In the history of the world, only two people, and that's Enoch and Elijah, have ever escaped dying. Who wants to be one of those? <laughs> Take me up in the chariot of fire, Lord. Come on. The rapture's coming, so... That's because God took them to heaven before they quit breathing. And so it probably was a passing. No, it wouldn't have been a passing. Can you imagine being in a fiery red-hot chariot? Imagine if Trev had done it up with some twin... I don't know the terminology. But twin turbine, something or other, I don't know, big... Something with a bit of grunt in it. And you're like, up into the... That'd be the way to go. That's how you want to go. That's how you want to go. Yeah, that. I, I, I don't know. I can't change a tyre, let alone know what an engine is. Anyway. <laughs> Only a few people have ever come back from the grave, and Lazarus is one of them. Okay? So that's what we're talking about today. In this chapter, chapter John, uh, chapter 11 of John, uh, it describes Lazarus's death and how Jesus brought him back from the dead. And this miracle is the turning point 
um, in the book of John. It's actually uh, the last of the seven sign miracles that pointed to Jesus' deity, uh, proving that he has power over life and death. And it's also ended his public uh, ministry. And so as we read on, we move into that next section of the gospel where it's his ministry to his disciples and, and the private ministry. So let's get started. John chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, there it is, says this. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary... Who, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So we're talking about a trio of Bethany people. Okay? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who lived in Bethany. It was a suburb of Jerusalem. And they're all close friends of Jesus. He and his disciples often visited in the sisters' home. Although this is John's first mention of the trio, Uh, They're well known to the readers because they're mentioned in other Gospels earlier, etc. But John specifically identified Mary as the one who poured the perfume on Jesus' feet, an event that he didn't record until later in John. So we haven't heard about that yet in John itself. At this point, Lazarus was sick, but John leaves us with questions about what was wrong with him. So he doesn't specifically say how he's sick, what's wrong with it, just says he's sick. So we read on in verse 3 and 4. Therefore the sisters sent to him, uh, Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So we're making a plea to a friend for Lazarus's life. Because it must be a serious... It's not just like a man flu, although that's pretty serious. Uh, But, you know, it's obviously something very serious. He must have been seriously ill because Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus. And he was about 20 miles away at the time. Uh, Certainly they wouldn't have bothered if it was like just your, your basic cold or flu. So it was something serious, but we just don't know what it was. Whatever it was, Jesus wasn't concerned. Since he's God, which is kind of a good advantage, he knew Lazarus uh, was going to die, but not stay dead, well, at least this time. He knew what was going to happen. Instead, he'd become another of uh, the people, like the blind man that was healed from blindness from birth. He's going to become like another one of those, another example of God doing a miracle in the life of someone that it has to be God, and it points to the fact that Jesus is God. You know, to glorify God means to acknowledge him as being who he truly is. That's what, when we say let's glorify him, the best way to glorify him is speak out the truths you know about God. And that's why reading the word's important because that's where the truth is. And so we speak that out to him and we glorify him for who he truly is. And one of God's attributes is omnipotence. So clearly the resurrection of Lazarus caused many to acknowledge that great power. And so that's what we're about to see unfold here. Now, let's keep going. Verse 5 and 6 says this. Now, Jesus loved Martha. That's important. And her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Who read that for the first time and thought, what? Someone's sick. 
Like when we ring the ambulance when we're serious, like I'll only do that if I'm dying because I don't, you know, I don't do ambulance and things, but there was one time when I had um, some pain in the stomach that was just so strong, I couldn't cope with it. Nothing would knock it, so I had to ring the ambulance. I think it was your husband that came and picked me up. Uh, and, and how would I have felt if they called back and said, actually, we'll just be two days because we've got some stuff to attend to. You know, there's a staff meeting for all the ambos and... And, and we've got to have, uh, I don't know, a, a, a retreat. And, but we'll be back in two days. We'll come get you then. You'd be like, what? Furious. So here's Jesus. The first verse, it's like they're contradictory. Jesus loved Martha and her sister. So if you love someone and someone's sick, what do you do? You go. You go to be there. But then he goes, oh, two more days, and then I'll head off. Have you know that Jesus has his own agenda and his own timing? You know, some of us may have read that the first time and thought that Jesus' delay was a bit heartless. John states that Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters, so that contradicts that thought. You'd expect your brother's friend to come when he heard that your brother was sick. But Jesus waited two days. Maybe Mary and Martha were looking down the road every few hours, as you would, because you're on edge, you're like, you want help, you know Jesus can help. So every few hours they're going out and checking to see if he's coming. But even his disciples must have thought he was a little bit crazy for for not dropping everything and trekking back to Jerusalem right away. But Jesus uh, wasn't indifferent to the sister's plea to come. He wasn't like, oh, no, she'll be right. He'll suck it up. (laughs) He'll he'll come good. He, he, He wasn't preoccupied with a lot of other work either. So all we can... I guess, deduce from all this, figure out, is that Jesus lives by his own timetable. He knows everything. He's God. And so he's got his own timetable. The story teaches us two things about God's delays. The first is that God's delays are inevitable. We have our own agenda and things that we want done and when we would like them done. And for most of us, it's yesterday. We want it done. We want healing to come. We want provision to come. We want whatever it is that we're believing for. We want it now. But I'm here to tell you today that God's delays are inevitable. The second point is this, is that God's delays uh, are not final. So sometimes we think if it hasn't happened yet, well, it's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. God's not in it. But here's the thing. He will come. Jesus eventually does start to make his way to Lazarus. He will come in his own time and his own way. So we need to have faith in that. No doubt we'll frequently see that when he comes is much later than when we had hoped. <laughs> but that's okay because we trust in Jesus and know that he's coming. From his divine perspective, it'll be the right time. God comes right on time at the right time. God created time after all. <laughs> So, he's never late for his appointments. It's not like, oh, sorry, folks, I'm a bit backed up. There's another one billion people expecting me uh, to do something right now, so you're at the end of the queue. It's not like that. It's not like that. Jesus loved Lazarus, but that didn't prevent his death either. This is an important point. God's love towards us does not mean we will be spared that experience of passing through the iron gate of death. We're not spared that. We might feel forsaken by God, like where were you? Why weren't you here? But he is there. 
His love abides with us into eternity. So our suffering is not inconsistent with the love of God. People think, well, I lost a loved one, so God doesn't love me. That couldn't be further from the truth. Lazarus still died. And yes, he came back, but we we all have to pass through that journey. Look, ponder this. Something to ponder. God rarely operates on our timetable. It's very rare. If something happens and you believe it and it happens right, God bless you. That's so good. I celebrate with you. But he rarely operates on our timetable. We want things to happen right away and we've got no patience for waiting on God. But on the other hand, usually God doesn't always work as fast as we want, but we look back on life in hindsight, which is a beautiful thing, and we see where he has and where he's come through. You know, he's never late and he's always worth waiting for. So hold on to that today. Let's keep going. Two-day delay. Who wants two-day delay? Some of us have been waiting two years or more. Okay, verses 7 to 10. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you and you are going there again. But Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So we're walking literally into the face of death. Finally, after what, probably those two days, probably, you know when you're waiting for something, maybe it's when you're a kid, but I think it's when you're an adult too, and you're waiting for something and time just drags. Like two days would have felt like two years, I reckon, waiting for... Can you imagine Mary and Martha going out and checking every few hours? Is that him? Is that him? Is he here? And it's not. And that, that constant letdown, he's not coming. Maybe he's not coming. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he didn't get our message. They didn't have the internet back then, so they couldn't instant, instant message him. Had to send like a pigeon or something or someone on a, someone on a donkey. To, to, I don't know how they did it, but they got a message to Jesus somehow. So it would have seemed like an eternity for Mary and Martha, but also for the disciples with Jesus. Can you imagine if you were with Jesus and you know Lazarus is sick? You'd be like that, I don't know, ants in your pants. Are we going now? Can we go now? Like, we need to go. So they were hanging out for the time for Jesus to leave. And just in case Jesus forgot, his disciples keep reminding him about the leader's Uh, plot to get rid of him back where they're about to head so you remember we've just come out of jesus was doing all this teaching and uh, and offending people and splitting the crowd and and they were just about to stone him but he got away because it wasn't his time yet Uh, and he's going to walk back into that disciples are a little edgy about that as well not just that they want to get back to heal uh, lazarus but we could die like we're walking to our death but jesus wasn't one bit concerned as jesus is He, he knows what's going on he didn't expect an answer to his question about daylight either. Like, don't you know there's 12 hours in the day? Well, duh. You know, he doesn't want them to go, well, yes. <laughs> it was a rhetorical question to get them thinking. The answer's obvious. Work and, wa- work, uh, and walking were done while there was daylight because people wouldn't run into obstacles then or hurt themselves or get injured or whatever. You know, they didn't have electricity back then. So it wasn't like they had street lamp posts <laughs> to guide the way. They did everything during daylight. Jesus also only had a limited amount of time to do God's work while he was here on the planet as well. And he knew that as well. So regardless of the death threat that Lazarus was going to die, 
He had to go back to Jerusalem. He had to go. And on another level, Jesus was reminding his disciples that as the light of the world, his presence would keep them from stumbling spiritually. But they had to stay close to him. So that's, that's our call today. When you're in that valley, stay close to Jesus. What do we normally do? We go away from Jesus. We stay home from church. We don't want to hang around God's people because for whatever reason, we, we, we withdraw when we're going through a tough time. But I say this so often in this church, we're here for you. Online, we're here for you. If you're staying home because you're discouraged, distraught, feel like you won't be accepted back here because it's been so long since you've been here, you are welcome. Everyone is welcome here, particularly those going through valley moments. So we can lift up your hands. We can encourage you. We can be together and, and, and see through the storms of life together. Because isn't that what the church is for? That we gather together to corporately worship our Lord Jesus, but that we support each other. One person agrees with me. You're with me, right? Okay, good. Just making sure. We're here for each other. Don't stay away when things get rough. We are here. We're not going to judge you. We're actually going to support you and love on you and lavish on you and help you through the season. All right. Verse 11 to 13. Let's keep going. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. I guess. <laughs> However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. So they're picturing Lazarus, you know, comfy pillow, nice doona, catching a few Zs, because what do we do when we're sick? We sleep to try and re regenerate our bodies. And they're picturing Jesus going to go and go, Lazarus, get up! And they're like, you can't do that. He needs his rest. That'll make him better. That's what they're picturing. But uh, they're thinking it's a waking plan, but it's a little more than that. When Jesus announced he was going to wake up Lazarus, his disciples took him literally. Uh, but naturally they thought sleep would help get him better. We all know that. Sleep makes you better. But Jesus used sleep to mean death. That's what he was talking about. His plan was to go to Lazarus and not wake him up, but raise him up from the dead. All right, let's keep going. 14 to 16. Then Jesus said to them plainly, because they obviously didn't get it when he said sleep, meaning death. Lazarus is dead. <laughs> I think they understood after that. Uh, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Now we see Jesus' agenda and time unfolding. Why didn't he go straight away? People could have thought, oh, he's not really dead. He might have just been having a coma or something or, you know. Jesus gave it a couple of days, so they knew he was dead. He was dead, dead, like smell the body dead, dead. So, I'm glad for your sakes I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go, that we may die with him. So, let's get going, in other words. So, because his disciples missed the point, Jesus is now being clear. He's saying, right, Lazarus is dead. In fact, it's likely Lazarus was dead even by the time Jesus found out about his sickness. Uh, Jesus then went on to focus on the big picture. Lazarus' death 
wasn't a waste. God had allowed it so that Jesus could show his power once again over death and so that people would believe in him. That's the whole agenda here. If he had gone straight away, the case wouldn't have been as clear. So let's make sure he's dead, dead, gone, wrapped in cloth, looking like a mummy, in the tomb, smell the, you know, that beautiful smell. He's gone. So Thomas's reputation later was of a doubter, right? You know, the doubting Thomas. Uh, but here, he showed loyalty and courage. So he spoke up uh, first and expressed the disciples' willingness to die with Jesus because they think they're walking to their death. We're going to get stoned. We're going to walk in. They're going to be ready for us and we're done. But they didn't have a clue as to what was ahead, but they were willing to follow Jesus anyway. Can we be followers of Jesus when we don't know what's ahead? We don't know what the pathway is going to look like. You know, we'd love to have everything lined up, have your ducks in a row. There's a saying, you know, everything there. And so when I'm 40, I'm going to do this. When I'm 50, I'm going to do this. And by the time I'm retired, and then, and we'd love everything to just work out, just nice and peachy and no problems, no speed bumps. Life is cruisy. Wouldn't you love that? But can we be followers of Jesus that despite the twists and turns in the road, that we cling to Jesus, that we follow him, that we hold on to him, clutch onto him tightly despite what's going on, and be encouraged in the midst of your storm. Something to ponder. Trials afford God a platform for working in our lives. If we had that life, all the ducks in a row, nothing going wrong, do we need God? Of course not. Everything's good. Everything's working out. Everything's brilliant. We don't need anything. Now, don't twist what I'm saying. God doesn't send trials. We live in a broken world, and trials come because of that. So God doesn't send them to test you. Don't be that person. But trials give God a platform for his working in our lives. So without them, I'd never know how kind, how powerful, how gracious, how incredible my God is. And so when I do go through the valleys of life and God does a miracle, I can glorify him and know of his goodness and testify of his goodness that others may come to know him. When we suffer in some way, we tend to focus on the moment. Everything's going awful. Everything's terrible. Everything's tough. We want the pain to be over quickly. Come on, God, take it away. We want to feel good. We want to have the problem solved immediately. But God is working from a bigger picture. And he uses the pain and problems to glorify himself in the midst of your circumstances. Because when you do come out the other side, and you will, when you do come out the other side, God is glorified. And people can know of his goodness. All right, let's keep going. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. That's pretty stinky. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was still sitting in the house. So... Lazarus is dead and buried. He's done. Jesus didn't arrive until Lazarus had been buried for four days. After that length of time, everyone would be sure that he's gone. He's dead. 
So when Jesus raised him, it wouldn't be a fluke, it wouldn't be a trick, it wouldn't be, oh, he was in a coma. He was gone. Ain't nobody smelling like that in a coma. So, no one could claim that Lazarus had a near-death experience or that he only seemed dead. No, nobody could, because, well, conspiracy theorists, imagine if something like that happened today. They'd be, well, he wasn't really, he must have, whatever. They'll have their theories. That's why Jesus' timing is perfect. Come later, when there's no shadow of a doubt, he's gone. Back then in the Middle East, dead people were buried within 24 hours of their death. Um, bodies were not embalmed as they are today, but instead they were covered with spices and perfumes and wrapped with long lengths of cloth, hence the mummy look. Um, mourning the loss of the dead was so important that the family actually hired professional mourners. This is how serious it was. So not necessarily people that knew. The person. This is the mourners are us. They'd ring them up. Well, they didn't have phones. They'd send the pigeon. Send us some mourners. So at least they would have at least one wailing woman. Can you imagine what that would sound like? Oh, Lord, I'm not going to even impersonate it. You can't unhear that. Anyway, one wailing woman, two flute players, and many more if they were rich. So that was like the minimum. So you'd have just be like, and the woman's going, sorry, you can't unhear that, can you? After the burial, family members, friends, neighbours, they come to the house to mourn. Is that, did you say it sounds like my singing? I heard you. I can hear everything up here. Repent in, repent in Jesus' name. <laughs> so cruel, so cruel. After the burial, all your family members, your friends, everyone, they come to the house to mourn with the bereaved. And they do that for seven days. So it's a decent amount of time. Jewish people still practice this custom, and it's called sitting shiva. I don't know if you know that term, but that's what it's called. They sit seven days. The wailing woman's outside, hopefully not inside, because that'd be really loud. The flute players, it's all happening. Jewish family members visited the tomb of a loved one for three days to make sure the person buried was really dead. So there was a three-day limit on that, and make sure they're not in a coma. So in the hot climate... <laughs> A dead body would have begun to decay by that time. Absolutely. Hence the... I don't care how much spices and perfume you put on that body. After three days, whoo! When Mary and Martha heard that Jesus had finally come, this is four days after he's been buried, Martha runs out to greet him while her sister continues mourning with the friends and neighbours who had come to grieve with them. All right, let's keep going. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So I think the first verse has a bit of self in it. And then the second verse is the faith statement. Because the faith didn't waver. I feel like this, like if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But even so, now that you are here, anything you ask of God, I have faith to believe that he will give it to you. You know, Martha would never have said, it's your fault. Imagine that. Welcome back, Jesus, 20-mile journey. It's your fault that my brother's dead. I put it all on you. She'd never talk to Jesus like that. People in the Middle East weren't as direct as maybe us. We're a little more direct, aren't we, us Westerners? But that's what she meant when she said that. She was insinuating. Like, if you had been here, 
he wouldn't have died. But, but God. Hmm. She was also sure that Jesus could bring Lazarus back to life if he chose to do so. So faith was still there. She knew all about his other miracles, so she believed him. Okay, 23 to 27. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. So she missed what he was saying. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The faith challenge. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. She declares Jesus is the source of life. Without hesitation. There was no umming and ahhing. It was like, bang, this is who you are. See, in response to Martha's plea, Jesus told her that Lazarus would rise from the dead. He wanted to encourage her. But Jesus was talking about the present for a change, not what was to come, but this is going to happen now. But Martha's thought he was talking about the future resurrection of believers. And she may also have interpreted his statement as a common way of comforting the grieving, much like how we say, oh, your loved one's in a better place. You know, if you've had someone that's passed away that's close to you and you hear that, you know it's true, but oh, really? <laughs> it's hard. But that's what it's like. She, she thought Jesus was trying to comfort her rather than encourage her. So in the light of Lazarus' death, Jesus spoke his fifth I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. He has declared right there that I have the power over sin and darkness and death. When we believe in him, he guarantees a future resurrection of our bodies from the grave and eternal life for our souls. But both of these come only through a relationship with him. And he is the source of resurrection and life. It's where it comes from. It was clearly a statement of deity. And Martha affirmed the fact by saying and declaring her belief was in him. Her statement of faith is exactly the response that Jesus wants from us. He wants us to believe that he is the resurrection and the life, that he can lift us out of these dry bones that were useless and nothing before we met Jesus, but then he breathes life into us and we're transformed by the power of Jesus and then we have that new life in us and then when we pass that resurrection and life, that power allows us to spend eternity with Jesus. This confession presents a high point in John's gospel right here. For here we see a believer acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And in recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, she saw him to be God's appointed one, to deliver God's people. In recognizing Jesus as the Son of God, she saw his divinity. She declared that Jesus was God which indeed he is. Faith in Jesus, let's apply it. Faith in Jesus guarantees that after death, our bodies will be raised from the dead and we will have eternal life. This is possible since Jesus is the source of resurrection and life. And that's why that's the only way to get to heaven because Jesus is the source. He is the source of life. And if we don't go to him, we don't have life. No Jesus, no life. You need to have Jesus in your heart to receive 
this that we're talking about. All right, verses 28 to 32, and we're nearly done. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out following her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. And then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There it is, private meeting. So, after the roadside chat with Jesus that happened, Martha goes back to the house to get Mary. She talks with her sister privately. They have a private meeting. So the whole morning crowd wouldn't follow. They just wanted some time. But when Mary disappeared, the mourners followed anyway, thinking that she was going to the tomb. Martha and Mary must have talked about how Jesus could have saved Lazarus from dying, since they both gave him the same speech. You know, like, if you'd been here, my brother would not be dead. Like Martha, Mary believed that Jesus is God. She didn't say it like a sister, but she fell down at his feet as an act of worship that's reserved for God alone. See, just as... Just as a diamond seems to sparkle more brilliantly when displayed in a black velvet case, you know, all the jewellery shops have the black backing, uh, the radiant beauty of Christ-like character seems to shine more and, and more splendidly against the backdrop of suffering. Even in Martha's grief, the jewel of hope that seemed to have been birthed in her spirit sparkled. It was there. The grief was there too, if you had been here. But nevertheless, whatever you say, I believe God's going to grant to you. So she eagerly goes to Mary to communicate that Jesus is there. You know, like Martha and Mary, we tend to deal in if-onlys. And I've addressed this already this morning. If only. You know, if only Jesus was there, he wouldn't have died. God's looking for our response to be but God in the midst of our challenge. Not if only. If only I had this much money, I wouldn't have that debt. If only I had, uh, uh, you know, 20 less kilos on my body, I could run that marathon. <laughs> if only I, you know, was in that place at that time instead of there, that wouldn't have happened. If only. You know, like Mary and Martha, we deal in if onlys. If only this had happened. If only I hadn't done that. If only God had done what I'd asked. If only. And next time you're tempted to say, if only, remember that God is bigger than your circumstance. He's bigger than your problem. It may not seem like he's doing anything right now, but he is. It's just that two-day wait that Jesus put on coming to be there for Lazarus. It's just that season of waiting. We don't like waiting. We want it yesterday. I know. That's the world we live in, particularly the generation coming up. No patience. But if you're in that season, that in-between season where it hasn't quite happened yet and, and you're wondering if it's coming, the word of the Lord today for you is, I'm coming. Just, just continue to sparkle with my presence in your life. Continue to shine the light of Jesus in everything that you do. You know, if only God... No, remember that God is bigger 
stronger, more powerful than anything that you're facing. And he's working even when you can't see him. We didn't sing it today, but even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Do we believe the words we sing in a song today? I want to encourage you, lift up your eyes. See beyond the, the, the wall that is created by your current predicament and know that God is at work in your life because he is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And let's watch something now that declares that. Jeremy, do you want to come up and play for me? That would be good. If you miss the words, there is a king above all kings. 
There is a king behind all kings. And the greatest earthly kings are but dim reflections of the true king. People will come and try and be in that position of prominence. But Jesus is the king of kings. You know, and the greatest earthly kings are but dim reflections. They're never going to be filled with the glory of Jesus. From the stillness, the king spoke light, form, beauty, life. He created humanity in his own likeness. Humanity walked with the king, but this relationship would not last. We know the story. A new king would ascend to the throne of every human heart, and that king is sin. A king with many names, lust, addiction, greed, envy, violence, pride. His rule brought misery and death, but the true king made a promise that one day humanity would find shelter under the king. One day the true king would return to an obscure town, lying in a feeding trough amidst poverty, violence and oppression. That promise was fulfilled. The king was here, not as a conqueror, but as a servant, not to judge, but to save. Jesus saves, amen. Aren't you glad that Jesus is that kind of king? Breaking sin's power, making a way for humanity as sons and daughters of the king. He is the king of kings and his name is Jesus. I said it at the start. God put on my heart today that there are people in this place, there are people online at home and you're in a season of darkness. It's almost like that death season. You're not dead, but life feels dead. And you've got... You've poured out and you've got nothing left to give. Jesus is here today to tell you that he's on his way. Just give me two days. (laughs) It's not quite two days. That's a picture of waiting for Jesus to come. Not on our time frame, but on his. But the word of the Lord for you today is that I'm coming. And I'm coming to restore that which you've lost. I'm coming to give you the strength that you need in the midst of your challenge. I'm coming to mend every wound, heal every broken bit of you and make you whole again. I'm coming so that you can step into that next season, that season of victory, that season of overcoming. So would you stand in His presence this morning? Let's stand together. And if that's you, I talked about bending the knee. Now, some of us are a bit older and maybe can't bend the knee so much. But if you're able to, why don't you bend a knee to Jesus this morning and acknowledge that He is Lord over your life, that He's going to bring you the breakthrough. Don't feel awkward if you can't kneel. That's not about that. You just lift up Jesus in your own way in this moment. Father God, we just acknowledge you, your presence. We've read about your decision to wait two days before going to one of your closest friends who was dying and perhaps even dead at that time. And Father, we take from that today for us, that you are coming for us. Lord, I speak that you are coming for us, for your people who are broken in sin, who are hurting, who are struggling, who who are just lost without you. You are coming with power and with might and with victory written on your chest because you are victorious. You've conquered sin and death on our behalf and we know that you have conquered 
everything because your name is above every name. Nothing is too hard for you. And so we thank you for that victory that we can acknowledge today. We claim it as our own. People in this place that have given out of everything that they have, we claim that victory on their behalf today. Bring life to every person. Strength, Lord, for every situation. Help us in every season, as the video said at the start. Lord, things may be good, things may be bad, but we declare your goodness and your mercy and your love in every season. Jesus, we declare you are the King of kings. And we believe that over every situation, over every circumstance, and over every life in this place today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. And praise the Lord, I got back up. Can we just sing, put the words of that song back up, Josh, the bridge, Shout Jesus. I think we just need to finish this morning with a shout. And uh, our drummer's on the keyboard player now, so that's okay. The Holy Spirit's still here. I just think we just need to sing this and declare it over our family, over our life, over our season. As a church, you know, we've got big things ahead and I know you've probably been wondering what's happening with the extra building. It's all happening behind the scenes, designing plans. It's all, it's all it's stuff happening. It's that season of waiting. <laughs> but we want to see it now. Can we move in tomorrow? That'd be nice. But it's a season of waiting. I just feel to declare this over every life, over this church in this moment. To shout Jesus from the mountains. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the street. We shout it out. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. For our families. Jesus for our families. I speak the holy name. Jesus. We speak your name. Shout Jesus. Come on. Shout Jesus. Because there is power in His name. Your 
need Jesus in every valley, in every challenging time. We have no hope without Him. We are lost in a broken world without Jesus. But if you surrender your life to Him, His name is power. And He'll bring what you need for whatever situation that you're facing. So if you're in this place today and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, if you're at home online and we can't see you, that's okay. When God's looking for a response. So however you want to respond, in this place, lift up your hand. Say, Pastor Jeremy, that's me. I need to surrender my life to Jesus in this room, in this place today, because I need the power of Jesus to change my life. So if that's you, we've got hands raised across the place. If you've lifted your hand, if you've responded at home, pray this prayer with us together. Church, let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I receive your power because I choose to believe in you. I believe that you conquered sin and death and that you did it all for me. So I now surrender my life and I choose to live for you all the days of my life. I believe in you, God. I believe in you in my heart and I surrender to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Come on, praise God. Cause your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life, yes it is Lord, break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire, your name is power, one more time.